Welcome to Built to Play, your dose of video games, news, and culture. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. This week, we are back from summer vacation with dozens of quick hits. Atari makes breakfast, Nintendo shareholds hate fun, and Montreal is rethinking the whole video games thing. Also, Sony admits what we were all thinking. Somebody is making it rain on Twitch and Mighty Number no. 9 Double Dips. Plus, we're going to give you all the facts you need to enjoy Evo and the International. But first, Majesco pulls a financial magic trick. So does anybody actually remember Majesco? Um, okay, I'm going to pull back through the reaches of my memory. They make video games? Sometimes. They oh. actually, right now, they are best known for Zumba. They oh, really? Zumba games. Well, I, I, hear so, I see so many ads for Zumba, but I've never actually looked into it. I'm going to, so I'm going to think it's yoga. It's, it, no, it's dance. It's basically jazzercise. It's literally jazzercise, except with uh, samba. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh. There's also, I once saw ads for Triple X Zumba, uh. which, yeah, no, please don't. Is that like Carmen Electra? That's like really intense spin classes. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast rated E for everyone. Um, so back in March of 2013, Majesco's everyone's favorite Cooking Mama publisher. Wait, they publish Cooking Mama? Yeah, they publish Cooking Mama. Huh. Uh, they also, I believe their big claim to fame at one point was they made a Genesis. Oh, didn't they publish um, one of uh, Psychonauts? Did yes. they do that? Yes. Yep. Yep. After Microsoft said no? Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay, so they did, they did that. They published video games. They were given 180 days to raise their stock price to about $1 per share to remain listed on a NASDAQ. That's the minimum you can be listed on one of the largest stock markets in the world. At the time, they were trading between 50 and 60 cents for a few months. Majesco was then given an extension to February 2014 when their stock was trading at 54 cents. Their most recent finals report saw a 64% year-over-year revenue decline since 2013. So not exactly doing well. No, not particularly. And uh, so what they did to get back, you know, to keep themselves being publicly traded was a reverse stock split, which is a trick that brought their shares up to $2.56, which is actually crazy because yeah. that means, what is that? That's like triple. They were, no, quadruple even. Yeah, no, they're doing... They, they managed to get their stock up way higher than anyone expected. To be fair, Majesco has been involved in a lot of uh, initiatives recently, including Midnight City, in which they publish interesting indie games. Um, they're going to be publishing Gone Home uh, in uh, physical form and Costume Quest 2, in case you like that really cute um, RPG that D- Double Fine made a while back. Yeah, they and I think there's a bunch of other stuff. They, they published recently something, like, I can't remember the name, it was like a flying simulator almost. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think Majesco wants to be a small company, I think. I think it's the only way it can survive. I honestly think it would be smart. The smartest thing for Majesco to do is just buy itself back. Mm-hmm. Um, stop being, stop trading on the stock market. Because I just don't think it's going to be... I mean, the thing about stocks... The, the thing that happens both with stock splits and reverse stock splits... Um, basically, by the way, a stock split is you divide up... The, you double the number of shares that you have or something like that. Um, and by having more shares, your stock price goes down, allowing new investors to come in. But what happens in those situations is that the stock price always trends towards what it was previously. So if it was $0.60... um, and it's now two uh, two fifty. Uh, it's probably going to start dropping, pr- not immediately, but over time you'll start yeah. to see a trend towards back to that price. Um, the I think it would just once it does get low again, I honestly think it would be smart in their interest to just hey look. Private corporations can manage themselves, especially on a small scale, a lot better than public ones. Where uh, on a pub- when you're traded publicly, you're gonna have a lot of people saying, "Hey, um, how can we make this line on this graph go up?" Right. And to be fair, it's not like they have any major uh, franchises anymore. No. By no means are Cooking Mama and Zumba uh, world beaters. No, not really. Um, to be fair, uh, another to 
Majesco's stock name is cool. So really, I mean, how could it ever be in danger? That could, yeah, that could never be a problem for. If you, who was it who sat there and said, "Okay, we need to start being publicly traded"? What what are investors gonna buy? What are uptight, stuffy investment banker types gonna get interested in? Well, we need a cool stock, don't we? Cool. Oh, that for what? Cool. Nobody's cool. Why was nobody cool before Majesco? I don't know if I call. I don't think Majesco specifically uncool, but why did nobody pick cool first? Yeah, I'm surprised that the there's also I'm surprised there's no commodity trade for coolness. Like mm-hmm. just like you go to Chicago, the Chicago Meatpacking District, say I want to buy ten stocks in cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they just give you a packet of cool cigarettes. Yeah. Exactly. Or or like I'm surprised that uh, Jova Camel. Hasn't doesn't have cool uh, mm-hmm. cool trading. Well, Joe jo the Camel is actually the primary stockholder. In <laughs> Joe the Camel uh, representing. Um, <laughs> Shout outs to Joe the Camel. <laughs> Shout outs to that crim- uh, that criminally um, cartoonish Oscar, uh, cartoon- uh, mascot for a cigarette company. Yeah. Um, speaking of criminal, um, Hearthstone is now a full contact sport. So. Out. A couple weeks ago, you might have heard about the International Esports Federation, the Korea-based organization that deals with most esports tournaments and events, because they got in some hot water. Um, you also probably heard about the recent issue with the Finnish Assembly, a tournament meant as a qualifier for the I uh, the IESF uh, World Championships. So the Finnish Assembly banned women from playing in their standard Hearthstone tournament, uh, instead saying there would be a separate women-only event. Okay, so just off the top. Hearthstone is a iPad and PC based game mm-hmm. that is a trading card game. Yeah, it's it's a, it's sort of like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or cards or Yu-Gi-Oh, but based in the World of Warcraft universe. Yeah, and it, it has some kind of it has some more it has more complications than that, but you know, it's essentially like those those kinds of games. Um the now the reason that sports are often split into men's and women's is because Men and women of the same physical fitness, because there are different body types, mm-hmm. may not necessarily be able to compete the same way. Yeah, generally, just on just generally speaking, they're yeah. you know the highest fitness of male athletes and the highest fitness of female athletes is different. Yeah, and it would you know theoretically be unfair to have the two of them compete in traditional events. That's the rationale, at least. This is a card game in which there is not, there's not even like a time limit to play. Like you don't get like only thirty seconds to make a response. There's no speed chess. There's no physical action. The most physical action is moving your mouse from one card to another. Yeah, and it's not like I. It's not like um, there's going to be any real difference aside from uh, I don't know. Like whatever, whatever random thoughts tend to pop up in gender uh, gender different minds. Yeah, um, they, they're apparently they actually the the uh, IESF said they looked into research based on how men and women play online games differently, and they really couldn't find anything. There's nothing. Like there's nothing at all. When it comes to just Twitch response, I mean, really, who like it's it's so minimal, and it's such you don't need to be fit. To play video games. No. In fact, I think the stereotype is opposite of fit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen a um, an Evo tournament, or if you've ever seen, um, especially the Call of Duty championships, uh-huh. those are some colorful yeah, looking the, guys. I think with Evo, that a lot of Japanese players show up, and the yeah. Japanese players are they're tiny people. Um, but they're not exactly healthy people either. No, not particularly. Yeah, there's no. I, there are very few muscle men at <laughs> uh, at a fighting game tournament. Yeah. So there's nothing. There's nothing here that actually requires anything physical. So this is a really dumb thing to do. Is the it's conclusion really, really stupid? Apparently, it was in accordance with IESF gender policies, which allowed tournament organizers to segregate events to 
avoid conflicts, which I don't understand, or promote a female-only event to attract women players. See, this I could understand a women's-only league um, for only the sake of attracting new players and it being a space where... Um, it being placed for new players to t- kind of get used to, kind of like a f- maybe like a filter league, as opposed to having a, a really big tournament stage, b- because um, like there is a large amount of harassment online. Yeah. Right. So you want to be able to get people who their trash talk is not going to be at the worst level of vitriol the humanity knows, and instead going to be at least more moderate between women. And after that, they go into the big tournaments, which are just completely you know gender yeah. neutral. And to be and to be fair, there are very few women players in esports. Yeah, it's a very very. I mean, just in general in competitive gaming, there doesn't seem to be a lot of women involved. And I understand, like you said, I understand wanting to attract new players, but I don't think I really don't know if a female only tournament is a way to go about it, especially when there's a male only tournament happening right there, or not a male only, but an but an open to all. Because at that point, why wouldn't the, those same players go for the higher level of play? Yeah, see, I can understand like a tournament that is just open to everyone. And then a tournament that is open to women as just a mean of introducing to them to the game. Mm-hmm. But, like, having just separating it into men and women literally makes no sense. Right. Mm. It actually it reminded me a lot of um, Kaio Police, who was a popular Street Fighter player a couple years back, uh, known as Kaio Sato, who's a Japanese. She's a she's a uh, model and TV host and stuff, and as well as a relatively high-level player. Uh, she came out. She came out as trans, saying that she was born. Uh, she was born as a man, uh, and many internet idiots basically uh, tried to criticize her for playing somehow. Somehow that changed her performance in Street Fighter. I really don't understand how. In that that she was technically, but she had not had any surgery. She was just bi- she was biologically male. I don't understand how that changes how you play a video game. I don't mm. understand how your gender or sex changes. How you- Having certain genitalia does not change how I play Street Fighter. Yeah. No. Um. Getting yelled at and being called um, very various epithets um, in the middle of a Street Fighter game might change. That's that. true, but um, I don't think like actual like it's it's all Twitch controls. It's yeah. memorizing what the what the button presses mind, are. It's a mind game. Yeah, and it's who's better at understanding what the other person is thinking. Yeah, and at, at that level, like who cares? Who cares what you are? Yeah, who you are, what you are. You could be a dog. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It, uh, with with this in the spirit of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which comes out this week. Uh, oh, Andy Circus! You could be yeah, Andy Circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could be an entire army of Andy Circuses, mm-hmm. and no one would know. I mean, because you'd just be a CG ape. Yeah. Yeah. There would be five Andy Circuses playing Hearthstone at once, and that's why they're so good. Because they got the five the five brains. Um, I have an Andy Circus manning each of my buttons, so I have like I have perfect one frame length. Andy Circus is playing my controller at the moment, and that's that's actually why I'm doing so well. Yeah, yeah. Andy Circus is actually playing me during this podcast. <laughs> I'm so lifelike you couldn't tell. <laughs> no, for listeners, this is a audio show. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, segregation is dumb. I think is yeah. our conclusion. Mm-hmm. Speaking uh, of dumb things, uh, <laughs> so and okay. Long to begin with, Canada has a long track record of funding people um, to make video games. Yes, we like funding people. We like funding the arts. Yep. Um, Quebec thinks that maybe that's not so good, such a good idea anymore. Yeah, apparently there were. I mean, in a June, in the June fourth budget, Quebec cut their video game industry tax credits by twenty percent, which is, I mean, a it's a lot. But the thing about that is that C- C- Montreal has traditionally been the place to make video games in Canada. Yeah, um, especially if you're a big company. I mean, they don't have quite the same indie scene that Ontario <laughs> and maybe even Vancouver does. But they they for a very long time have had all the big publishers. They had Ubisoft. They had Warner Brothers. They had EA. They have um, 
I think Square Enix yeah. IDOS, and IDOS. Yeah, exactly. So like there are all these places and a lot of these places are European companies who want to expand to somewhere that is familiar to Europe <laughs> but has a lot of tax credits and functions more similarly to the United States economy. Yeah. It's it makes sense, and I, I presume apparently this was simply because Quebec needs cash. Yes, there is obviously m- many of the provinces need cash right now. But according to lobby group um, Alliance Numerique Head and Warner Brothers Montreal VP Martin Carrier, this spells serious trouble for Montreal's game economy. Yeah, so major studios like WB and Warner uh, WB and Ubisoft are safe until 2019 um, due to agreements signed under previous administrations, and they're kind of. Uh, grandfathered into the current budget, but indie studios are going to have a lot more trouble. It's also not just indie studios, but also smaller studios. So Ubisoft and WB can now play dirty and offer much more competitive salaries, um, which is something that uh, some studios, that specifically uh, IDOS and BioWare, are worried about. Because now, without the tax credits, they can't hire as many people or pay them as well as WB and Ubisoft can for the next four years. And the thing is, when you're working on these big budget games, I mean, not to, I mean, big budget games can be a lot of fun. But when the actual process of making them, um, it can be more of a treadmill in the sense that you get hired as an animator, you're making this one model, maybe you're making this one model for a while, and then you're making another model for a while, and then you don't see it again until the final game. Mm-hmm. You don't really get to play a part in the overall, put, everything gets put together in the end. You don't see it until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so... When you're just when you're just a random animator, does it really matter whether you're making um, DS, DSX uh, models or whether you're making um, Assassin's Creed models? Especially if you are just this one cog in a massive corporation. Mm-hmm. Well, it matters when Ubisoft can pay you better. Exactly. That's the only. That's going to be the significant difference. So um, that's going to spell some trouble, at least for the the, the balance of talent. In, yeah, in definitely a competition. Other than already mentioned studios, uh, Funcom, EA, Gameloft, Polytron, Square Enix, Tribute Games, and dozens of other smaller studios are based in Montreal due to the previously very attractive tax breaks. Also, Phil Fish is French. Phil Fish, yeah. Well, that's Polytron. Yeah. Yep. Are, are you saying that they're all based there because of Phil Fish? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> Phil Fish drew them to him with a siren call. Ex- yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what... Why else would he be on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Uh, it all, this actually also means that Ontario has the most attractive tax situation in the entire country for video game developers. Which is really funny. I mean, Vancouver basically has nothing because for the longest time it was the de facto... Mm-hmm. The reason it being de facto because it was so close to Seattle, basically, yeah. was like, hey, you can just, uh, Microsoft is just across the water and Amazon, and if you go a little further, you can make it San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and they, so they have nothing. Quebec has, Quebec then got into competition by having those tax credits. And then Ontario was like, hey, um, it'd be nice if we had a tech sector, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And so they've been offering these cool tax credits, which ga- which companies like um, Drinkbox Studios, Capybara, are dozens and dozons of indies. Yeah, no, I, mean, ev- I know even like our individual like one person teams get uh, get arts funding sometimes. Uh, Daniel, I know you have a crippling addiction to asteroids. I okay. See, <laughs> this is what makes me mad about this is that longtime listeners to the parts of the show that we don't record know that <laughs> I make a lot of puns, and I'm really mad that a Atari beat me to this, and B, they managed to make one worse than I could ever imagine. <laughs> so, if you, we, we mentioned this a, a long time ago, that Atari was uh, has returned from bankruptcy, and their, their entry is into the exciting field of LGBT games, um, that being casino games. No, actually, it turns out LGBT doesn't mean that, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we'll get to that. Okay. It, what it also doesn't mean is Link's Grand Slam's Breakfast and Tumblr. <laughs> Um, but Atari's into the breakfast scene. By the way, check out Denny's Tumblr, blog.denny's.com. <laughs> it's really beautiful. 
Chip Zdarsky has a really good presence on uh, Denny's Tumblr. Um, <laughs> no, he has a presence on Denny's Facebook. Oh, right, right. Come on. <laughs> Get your Denny's chronology straight, your Denny's timeline. Okay, so here's uh, Atari's teaming up with Denny's to make three spin-off games from their classic uh, read, few retained franchises. There is the previously mentioned Hashteroids, quote, You are aboard the SS Denny's condiment transport ship, and the mission is clear. Deliver 40 tons of condiments to the fourth planet in Sector 7D. I, I didn't. I didn't know that was anything to do with it. Like, I didn't know that you were doing that in asteroids. No, you're just shooting asteroids. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like. I never thought there was a mission to it. It was just la, la, live. Well, I, they're just kind of overlaying story over the core gameplay. That's what you did back in the Atari days. You really didn't have us. The game weren't really capable of telling their own narratives within gameplay because there wasn't. You know, you can really have that kind of detailed gameplay. You can only have two moving paddles and a ball. But they, they allowed you with the manuals in the back of the box to really paint a beautiful picture of breakfast. <laughs> it's, it's like Missile Command. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Centipup, based on Centipede. Once upon a time, a young boy named Danny, not Danny, came across a bottle of syrup, and with just a slight squeeze, the bottle of sticky contents had the power to turn anyone or anything into a fried egg. Now, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> First of all, maple syrup and fried eggs? Yeah, you're just making... That's just That was a mistake to begin with. That's just gross. Yeah. Second of all, what does it have to do with their classic puppies? Their pups. Their puppies. Their uh, hash puppies, or whatever they're called. Aren't are those also... So... They're pancake puppies. They're pancakes. Really? That's what a pup? Th- yeah, yeah. I haven't been to Denny's in ages. I haven't either, but I know a lot about their Hobbit menu. <laughs> I know a lot about Radagast puppy pancakes. In the laziest pun, uh, takeout or breakout. A wall made entirely out of delicious Denny's breakfast items appears, blocking all the takeout orders from the rightful owners. The only way to feed customers is to break down that wall. Um, these games will only be available through Denny's mobile app and not playable on their their own. But um, I think we should all slow down here and, and start asking a couple questions. <laughs> yeah. Um... First of all, who approached whom here? <laughs> did Atari say, hey, Denny's, well, we were in court for bankruptcy hearings, so we thought of some sweet breakfast puns. Or did Denny say, hey, Atari, all our customers are old and sad, but the only way, to do the sy- the only way through the syrupy fugue of a Denny's breakfast theme app is <laughs> the only way they want to play Atari games. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to understand this. Did, like, was it Denny's? Like, we want Atari to make video games for us because we love Atari. Or did Atari say, boy, we sure do love Denny's. I you know I honestly don't know how how this deal could have gone. Um, that the the new CEO has been saying that they wanted to make brand new brand initiatives. Denny's is not the place you want to start. I feel like they're doing the anti Red Bull though, and that Red Bull is like the the actual drink is so inconsequential to mm-hmm. what Red Bull is. In that Red Bull is like an esports website and an event sponsor, mm-hmm. and it gives you wings. Uh, warning, Red Bull will not actually give you wings. You no, um, won't turn into angel. Yeah. Um, you, you won't get incredibly religious. Um, <laughs> so, uh, X-Men jokes here live. <laughs> um, <laughs> Built to play. Come for the video game. Stay for X-Men jokes. Anyway, <laughs> um, in any case, th- with this... Uh, with Red Bull has been spending a long time building up their brand so that you say, Oh, ah, no matter where I go, I keep seeing Red Bull. I might as well have one of these drinks. Um, this seems to go, no matter where I go, I see Atari games. Oh, God, I got to hide. <laughs> I don't want to see more of these but Atari why, games. But why are you going to Denny's? Yeah. You know Denny's is opening up nearby? There's a Denny's opening up nearby. You're right. And there, see, the only Denny's I had access to for the longest time was... Um, the one at the airport? The, no, no, no. There was one, um, like, maybe 10 minutes. No, not 10 minutes. Like a 20-minute ride from my house. Um, but it was always filled with, like, the creepiest people imaginable. That's the only people that are ever at a Denny's. The two kinds of people you find at a Denny's are old people who are very lonely. 
mm-hmm. and people who had just um, people who had just finished uh, hockey matches, and there was nowhere, oh, there was no big enough breakfast place that was open early enough, uh-huh. and there were no Coras opened in that area. You know, the two people you meet at the two kinds of people you meet at Denny's is my favorite Mitch album book. <laughs> uh, coming to a theater near you. Um, fun. F- so okay, another fun fact. Um, it turns out LGBT totally means. Um, what we thought it meant. Yeah, we, okay, so last time we talked about this, we were confused when they said LGBT games, and then we last minute recorded a thing when we found out that it could mean uh, legal gambling and betting terminals. Yeah. It turns out it actually totally means lay, gay, lay, um, lesbian, gay, bi, and transgendered. They, they're, they're actually making a game called Pride Fest. I don't know what it is, but Breakout was originally rainbow-themed, so they'll only have to reskin one of those Denny's games I refuse <laughs> to look up the name of. <laughs> Okay, um, speaking of unexplainable uh, journeys into nonsense, um, Twitch has a new benefactor? Yeah, so once upon a time, very rich people cared about the arts and looking like they were smart, and so they paid artists handsomely to continue making their art because it was important to the world and everybody was happy. Yeah, now we have a mysterious benefactor giving thousands to uh, Twitch streamers. Yeah, I don't. We can't. I can't even explain this one. <laughs> There's a mysterious person, benefactor, going by Amhai, who has given out more than $100,000 to their favorite Twitch channels through the private donation feature. Uh, the WoW Arena champ Isaac Cummings Bentley, which is a fantastic name on par with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, has received more than 30000 while his friend Chance Morris has gotten, which is also another amazing name, um, 50,000. Amhai reportedly tests streamers by donating small amounts, and if they prove to be appreciative, they become showered with riches. More recent benefi- beneficiaries of the mo- uh, multi-mystery millionaire include Leah May, um, a Hearthstone player who's received more than 20,000. Um, Cummings Bentley is one of the few people to be in contact with Amhai and denies many rumors swirling around, like the one that claims he's a Middle Eastern oil baron. NeoGaf actually has an entire thread about that, d- dedicated to proving that he is secretly like a, like some sort of powerful oil master. He is actually the one of the presidents, of the one of the prime ministers, one of the kings of Saudi Arabia. See what you don't know is that it's George Bush. <laughs> yeah, he's actually trading his paintings. Yeah, for, yeah, um, for, for cash, for cold hard cash, so that he can fund these uh, these uh, League of Legends I, I, and I Hearthstone think, players. Apparently, there's a private rich person. I think it's Rick Moranis. It, yeah, probably. It's probably right. Rick Moranis. Okay, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's it's actually Big Crosby this whole time. <laughs> Back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's what his fortune's being used for. Um, the estate of Bing Crosby. <laughs> in other inexplicable news, um, Mighty Number no. $200,000. Um, you may remember uh, Mighty Number no. 9 from its stupidly successful fundraising campaign. Mighty Number no. 9 is the spiritual successor to uh, Mega Man, made by its Mega Man's creator, uh, Keiji Nafune. Um it is officially, I mean, it's a, basically its official title is not Mega Man, and it raised almost $4 million in a month. Um, the company behind it, Comset, is now looking to uh, get more money. Yeah, uh, non-backers, or if you already backed the game and wish to double dip, you can, pr- can pre-order the game on the Mighty Number no. 9 website and fund towards even more stretch goals. Um, okay, so at two... 200,000 the game will get English and Japanese voice acting. Um, the goal was previously 100,000 for just English. I don't know much about game budgets, but that seems like a ton for voice acting. How much was the entire... Uh, how much was the entire Kickstarter budget for the Skullgirls DLC? Yeah, I don't... I think it was a, it was about 100,000. Oh, look, though. Give me vamp for a second while I check. I, I To me, it's always hard to construe what... 
voice acting is what what elements of games are going to cost because they have to go through so many every individual part added to a game requires testing it requires QA it requires additional code mm-hmm. so all of this stuff it could add up um maybe they want to also get high class voice actors but honestly if this is a mega man game which voice actor? What's your favorite Mega Man voice actor? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite voice of a oh, Mega Man? Oh, it's the Mega Man. It's the it's Mega Man Eight's voice. Stop, ass! Why must we fight? <laughs> oh no, no! It's Doctor Wild. It's sorry, not Doctor Wild. Doctor Light, who talks like Elmer Fudd and stutters throughout the whole game because he doesn't remember his lines. And when it's like, you have to stop Doctor Wily. Uh, uh, oh, Mega Man. <laughs> <laughs> he forgets the name of the video game. <laughs> By the way, uh, Skullgirls is looking for $150,000 for a new character, and they bro- actually broke down the entire cost, where voices for one character, where voices for rather the uh, multiple characters they were adding was uh, $4,000. Maybe this is secretly Skyrim, is what mm-hmm. this is the new Elder Scrolls game. Yeah. That's that's what this is going to turn out to be, is that, yeah, we need $20,000 just for um, uh, all the lore in the, in the My Number Nine universe. <laughs> Um, we need to explore the histories, all the books. Every these. single one of the characters. Each robot has its own backstory. Yeah. Uh, Concept also took the chance to announce a Mighty Number no. 9 animated series, which is genuinely insane because we don't know anything about this game yet. Other than its char- character designs, which just look anime. Sure. Um, they, they sure do look like Mega Mans. Yep. Um... The the animated series uh, is entirely separate from the kicks from the new stretch goals, which by the way are just doing through. These are just through PayPal on their website. Yeah, they're not actually officially with Kickstarter, and they're not doing terribly well, as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I checked only a couple days ago, and they were like uh, six thousand dollars. Yeah, last night I saw eight thousand. Yeah, so they're not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, the game isn't out yet though, and they're treating it like it's the world's biggest deal. I can't, like, yeah. I like a new Mega Man. Mega Man's cool, but you already got $4 million. Or what was it? 3.6 or something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, why are you... I can't imagine the justification for both A, voice acting in this game. I mean, me- the first four Mega Mans got by without dialogue. The um, first, no, the first seven Mega Mans got by without t- without act- voice acting. Yeah. Um. The... The original ones just had you start up and say, hey, look, there are five monsters. Super fighting robot, Mega Man. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Now, th- yeah. Just, Fight for everlasting, everlasting peace. That that tragic irony is at the core of his character. <laughs> he has to fight for everlasting peace. How will he put these two together? This is probably a bad idea. Yep. Um, I think they should just reconsider their lives and the choices they're making. Um, <laughs> speaking of choices that big companies are making, um, Sony is making a whole bunch of weird decisions with their money. Yeah, so in Japan, according to Enterbrain, the organization that tracks Japanese game sales, the PS4 is doing miserably. Um, so the PS4 hasn't managed to move more than 10,000 consoles a week in two months, um, putting it behind the Vita and Wii U in terms of popularity, which is sort of like how the PS3 is being sold, outsold by the GBA and 2007 which is a real thing and my favorite fact though the ps3 <laughs> is currently outselling the wii u in america unsurprisingly the considering how heavily uh sony focused on the american launch of the ps4 very few japanese oriented games were ready for launch but it seems a bit to it seems to have bit them really hard in the butt yeah like they didn't really they prepared a yakuza game i think was the only big japanese thing and i think they thought knack was gonna be a really cool cross like cross-nation thing, but it was a terrible game. Yeah, well, the big problem with Knack was that it was boring as hell. Like, mm-hmm. there was nothing to it. Um, to be fair, America is probably a better market for making money, and it's not like they have much competition in Japan. It turns out, I, I checked in, the Xbox One still hasn't launched in Japan. <laughs> but, like, 
just <laughs> destroy them for existing. Um, speaking of things that are crazy, uh, PS Now prices are actually insane. Okay, so first of all, PS Now, for those who are unacquainted with this amazing uh, new venture by Sony, it's basically blockbuster on the internet Kind of. And Maybe it, there's a subscription version. Yeah, we don't know much about it. It streams games on rental. Yeah. Basically. Um, but the problem is is that you have very explicit time limits for the stuff that's being streamed. Um, so while PS... Uh, they've been asking for... They've been currently in a trial period, and they've been asking for uh, betas, uh, beta testers to basically say, Hey, what about these prices, guys? Yeah, but except they, the beta testers still actually have to pay those prices to yeah. play these games, which is crazy to me. Um, for example... Yeah, no. Um, what was Final Fantasy Thirteen Two going for? Like, let me just get this out there. I would pay maybe five dollars for the whole of Final Fantasy Thirteen Two. Well, I five dollars is a good number because that's what four hours with that game costs. What? Uh, the prices vary up. I believe it goes up to it goes up to um. Oops, sorry, it goes up to thirty dollars for ninety days with stuff in between. By the way, the game is less than twenty dollars on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Like. I am I am waiting for Final Fantasy thirteen too. I am waiting for Lightning Returns as well to get into that glorious bargain bin at, at an EB Games, mm-hmm. so I can just basically steal it out of the store. Like right, Guacamelee is actually better because three dollars what four hours cost you for that game, which is I don't know the game is about six seven hours long. Yeah, uh, it is fifteen dollars for ninety days. The game is fifteen dollars <laughs> to buy on PSN. Yeah, like I think they need to figure out a situation which is just. I ever do it seven days and say, "Hey, this is seven bucks." Like you, like you know, the good old Rogers video. If you li- ever lived in Toronto, um, or uh, I don't know what they had in Montreal or Vancouver. Um, you know, I learned a lot of swears from renting Game Boy Advance games from Rogers Video. <laughs> learned a lot of curse words. Those are always cool guys. Um, so what happens is um, the the thing with uh, these the thing with these rentals is that really they're going to be their most useful at when the prices are reasonable. Like, mm-hmm. I would probably rent a like something like a big RPG where it's like, I, I really don't know. Maybe like a Divinity Original Sin. Mm-hmm. That's been really popular recently. Um, say, oh, I don't really know about Divinity right now. I don't want to play... I don't even want to play the uh, entry-level um, game. I just want uh, to try this game out for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a really good... I don't know, three to, three to seven dollars. A couple I- hours, though, for seven dollars. Just because the blockbuster renter was seven dollars for a week of the yeah. game, yeah, that's true. That's I, the thing. Can be competitive with prices that don't exist anymore, but yeah, I feel like seven dollars makes sense for a game, a dollar a day, whatever. Yeah, that's okay. You're probably right about that. Mm-hmm. The um, yeah. This, anyway, PS PS Now. <laughs> no one's going to use this service unless they get their prices in order. It's crazy. Uh, and finally, not to be content with just assuming it was the case, Andrew has revealed that Sony did indeed rewrite their E3 2013 presentation after watching the fan response to Microsoft. It makes a lot of sense considering they literally said, oh, no, we're not Microsoft. <laughs> Guys, stop it. No. No DRM. Stop. Bad Microsoft. Uh, the, and they did make that one video of how uh, borrowing games on PS4 worked in which it was, which I think it was one guy handing a video, Another person a, a video disc. Game. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty beautiful. Um, they maintained they didn't change their policies. They just rewrote the script to be all about how much Microsoft sucks and how cool Sony is, which I wonder why they didn't do that this year, because their ace in the hole was 20 minutes of the kingpin, talking about powers. That next up is Nintendo, which um, has been having a little issue, a couple issues. Just a, just a couple. Um, Dragon Quest X, Japan's favorite slash least favorite console-based MMO, is coming to 3DS for some insane reason. 
So the game, which originally came out for Wii in 2002 and Wii U... 2012. For, sorry, ah, 2012 and Wii U for in 2013 uh, is now being ported to a handheld system, which is, you know, the perfect place for, for an, an online, online game. game. When it has Wi-Fi only. Um, fun fact, we'll probably... This probably we might actually... I don't know if this will come out here. It's like 50-50 because mm. this is the fifth Dragon Quest game on 3DS and none of them have gotten localized. No Dragon Quest game has been localized in like five years at this point. So okay, so what is the situation? What what will the game look like if you're in Japan and you want to buy this? It is. It will run off a streaming client, sort of like how the Android version works. So it'll actually look a lot better than any 3DS game because it's basically being played off a PC somewhere. Right. It's a server. Yeah. It's. It'll look much nicer than any 3DS game, but it won't have 3D, which is probably a pretty fair trade-off. Yeah. Because who uses 3D? But you also can't play it when you don't have Wi-Fi. Which. I don't know how... That's fine on a PC or on a console. Yeah, but when you're in... Because you're always going to be in Japanese one place. Subway. Do Japanese subways have Wi-Fi? I don't think they do. I mean, I might imagine... I know that there are places in the world that, like, for instance, Hong Kong subway has um, Wi-Fi. But that's that's a subway system that's within one city. Um, it's a pretty big city. But, like, most Japanese commuters are coming from, like, outside Tokyo into Tokyo or from Tokyo into... into Other subway. parts of Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the, but here's the thing. Like, do you really want to sit and load up an MMO? Yeah, while your five stops subway ride. Yeah, I mean this is a really weird way to do it. To be fair, there are probably way more 3DS owners than there are Wii. Oh, definitely. This is the thing. This is the game finally getting to make maybe making some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Dragon Quest Nine did so well on the uh, the DS Mm -hmm. that apparently something like a third of the country, or sorry, like a fifth of the country, um, ended up buying it. Yep. So. This might make a lot more sense. Dra- Dragon Quest makes a ton of money in Japan, and apparently Dragon Quest Eleven is in development for 3DS, not mobile phones, as was previously rumored. Which is probably a very smart choice. Yeah, probably. Um, the streaming thing is cool, like I said, because it makes the game look better. But like, who is going to play this? Yeah. So the there's a probably a controller issue here too. Yeah. Since the 3DS doesn't have nearly enough buttons to manage an MMO, the bottom screen feature features pictures of the Wii U's uh, shoulder buttons. Analog stick and keyboard button, so you can tr- you can finally achieve the worst controller setup this side of Monster Hunter. Oh, that's amazing! That's oh my god! That's that's on par with um, that's on par with Icarus. Uh, Kid Icarus Uprising. Kid, yeah. Well, Kid Icarus Uprising was all the buttons. It's just yeah. it physically hurt to play unless you <laughs> trained yourself for an hour. Amazing game, but like absolutely not. <laughs> Um, they're also having a bit of a shareholder crisis at the moment. So, uh, Nintendo shareholders seem to be flip-flopping between between being fairly rational and remarkably hilarious um, in their current situation. Um, it's no secret that Nintendo stock hasn't exactly been doing well after two straight years of negative financials and the Wii U um, really underperforming. Um, certain stockholders has made gr- their grievances known at most recent meeting. But um, some of their quotes are just kind of out of this, this world. Or maybe the craziest things ever. So... <clears throat> After a PTA meeting the other day, someone told me they wish the size of the screen of Nintendo's current handheld device could have been manually extended to become twice the size, both horizontally and vertically. It would be more impressive to children playing with it and reduce their parents' concern about the impact on their eyes. In addition, the Japanese government is planning to have special zones for casinos for the Tokyo Olympic Games in 2020, but it is said as many are unfamiliar with the casino games. Wow, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of what Nintendo does. We Um, want the DS to be magic. And also, maybe gambling? (laughs) Another beautiful quote. Shareholder special benefits plans are very popular in Japan these days. As most of the individual shareholders hold Nintendo stocks because they are fans of the company, would you please give us something related to Nintendo as a shareholder perk? Wait, what? This guy literally asked for free (laughs) stuff. 
<laughs> you know, my boy doesn't really see me on weekends. I was wondering if you'd get this game, but it's just my face saying, hey, good job, kid. <laughs> hey, you're a real champ. Uh, All right, and this is the very best one. I do not understand video games and even feel very angry because Nintendo shareholder meetings to shareholders always discuss things related to video games or such childish topics as what should the feature of video games be? Well, I, for one, was flabbergasted that Mr. Iwata continues to hold his position, although he said that he would resign if the company's performance was bad. I hope Nintendo's shareholder meeting will become an opportunity where the shareholders discuss the company's business operations from the viewpoints of capital gains and dividends. That's amazing. Um, I wonder who had to feel these questions because they I, are probably they probably felt terrible. I know Miyamoto was one of them, and he just sat there quietly fuming. Meanwhile, Microsoft shareholders think they should sell the Xbox and get out of games. Uh, maybe their shareholders just switch. Yeah, um, well, I think maybe shareholders just hate video games. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to think this. Just the way it's going. Yeah, pretty much. Can uh, we get free stuff? Sure. Nobody's buying these Surface tablets. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so while we're maybe these video ga- these shareholders are on the right track because video games are over. Let's just pack it up. We're done. Yep. GameStop is looking into funding portions of games and getting involved in the development of pre-order content. Oh God. Um. So in a, in a in interview with Time, GameStop CEO Paul Rains confirmed that um, GameStop is going to start making their own pre-order bonuses, essentially cutting out the middleman or the I guess the the first man in or basically they're cutting gonna, out everyone. Yeah. Basically saying, hey, um, everyone let's cut who- the jibber we want money. <laughs> We're really tired of P- of uh, U- Ubisoft having to prod Ubisoft with a stick and getting out these big uh, cr- uh, curly fire irons in order to make Ubisoft to add all those extra features we like to watch You attract dogs. more flies with money than you do <laughs> with anything else. So they're just going to start funding pre-order bonuses um, so that GameStop pres- always secures the best ones. Yep. Pre-order bonuses drive a ton of sales for GameStop and the other places. And their problem is, they, well, they have to compete with other retailers. What if they didn't have to? What if we made secret deals in a back room and uh, no one knew? And uh, we got the best, we always got the best deal every time. And customers always had to, well, customers always had to buy from GameStop and had no other options. Yeah, that would be really, really, uh, that would be really cool. I mean, like, uh, isn't the free market great? <laughs> Right, what if we went to what if we went to um, those servers in which you had all the digital downloads and just burned them to the ground? Um, I would uh, I'll trade you. We won't even, you won't even have to pay for that. Listen, GameStop. I thought we had an agreement. Yeah. You wanted something and I wanted something. I wanted a video game for free. You wanted me to just give you my wallet and credit card information. <laughs> we found the middle ground where I gave you money when I felt like you deserved it and I had a you had a video game I wanted that was new. <laughs> Why are we doing this dance? <laughs> You don't ask me for insurance, and I <laughs> and I don't steal from you, yeah. <laughs> and I don't take this pickaxe and break into and your. I own. don't call anarchy. Pre-order <laughs> <sighs> bonuses are genuinely terrible, and they just go up for sale at a later date anyway, which is what makes them vaguely tolerable. I believe that aliens, uh, the alien isolation content that lets you play as the cast of the first movie, is exclusive to GameStop and only exclusive to GameStop. Except it will probably be available at a later date. Yep, uh, but GameStop finding their own means they have absolute control, meaning they maybe could never sell it again, or, even better, they could sell it to you later at a marked-up price. Uh, it's, yeah, it's bad. Like, the thing is, with, um... That could also, really, at this point, since they're funding it, they could genuinely include, like, full gameplay sections. Like, <laughs> oh, you don't get to play this boss if you don't pre-order at GameStop. You don't get to, you don't get to beat the game unless you pre-order GameStop. The ending is a GameStop exclusive. The credits. <laughs> You get you don't get to see who made this game. You don't see achievements. <laughs> oh man, GameStop exclusive achievements. You get an achievement for pre-ordering the game. You you get an achievement for not breaking into a GameStop and just just burning all of them to the ground. Anarchy now, burn it. Um, uh, giant. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> USA, USA, USA. Um, <laughs> speaking of USA and tournaments, um, the international is the. We're not gonna talk about soccer. What do you think we are? <laughs> yeah. So the international is the greatest um, sporting event in the world. Um, as or that's what Val paid us to say. Um, it's the Dota spawn. It's the Dota Championships, basically. Yeah. So Dota is sort of like League of Legends in that it's a MOBA, a mobile online battle arena game, uh, and in that it's a not. It's but it's a not sequel to the Defense of the Ancients mod for was it uh, Warcraft? World uh, Warcraft Three. Warcraft Three. Yeah. Um, it's a genre that's a lot like chess, being played with no turns with two teams. Yeah, whatever. There's no, there's no real easy way to describe this game aside from, hey, you pick a hero and you run at each other in a field and you hope to destroy the all the other players' uh, defensive points. Yeah. It's kind of like tower defense with monsters. I yeah, guess. tower defense, except there are monsters around and there's bosses you can fight to gain kind of points of position on the map. Um, three combat lanes, um, two teams of five heroes, and Dota is. They have League of Legends, Dota, and um, what is the game that's coming out for, from Blizzard? It's not. Is it still? Oh, called, uh, it's called. Oh, is it still Heroes called of the Storm? Yeah, here is there is Heroes of the Storms and not Blizzard All Stars. Yeah. All Stars. Um, so uh, there, these games have minor differences, but the biggest difference with Dota is that it has a lot of money behind it. Yeah, Valve has a lot of money to throw at it, and people and the fans do as well. Uh, before each international, Valve puts up a pop bonus, as well as puts an app called the Compendium on sale, which lets fans track the competition. Mm-hmm. A quarter of revenue from the Compendium goes into the pop bonus, which this year hit over $10 million, a bigger payout than the Super Bowl or the U.S. Masters Tournament. Which is, and this is going to, like, select teams of maybe, like, five people? Yeah, I believe the top payout is four point something million, which is almost a million dollars a person for winning. And it's this tournament is going to be played round robin style, so it's hard to exactly gauge which team is ahead right now. At the moment, the top uh, three kind of looks like this: it's uh, VC. I'm going to pronounce that at seven one. Uh, when, that being wins versus losses. Team DK um, at six uh, three, uh, and Evil Geniuses, the American team, yep. more or less, uh, at six three. I believe Evil Genius still has many uh, like Korean and and Asian players on the team, but they are an American-based team, as far as I understand. Yeah, so they're the they're probably the local favorite to win. Mm-hmm. There are probably no real Canadian teams. No, on No, probably not. No. I didn't know Donkey Kong. Yeah, Don- in- Donkey Kong always gets his represent. He always yeah. needs to. He always has his. He has his hands in everything. I hope this team just wears ties to every match. <laughs> just. just Big red ties with mm-hmm. a yellow, little yellow monogram like, on the bottom. I feel like more esports should handle things sort of like how basketball is like you have to wear suits when you're always off the court. Yeah. I exactly. feel like that's how esports should handle it. Um, I See, I wish the way basketball handled it was that you had to wear a suit underneath your jersey. So <laughs> Anytime. Uh, so you're uh, always ready for a formal event. Exactly. So, well, that's the thing. Sometimes the, sometimes the other team can call a ball in the middle of your ball game and then you have to do a waltz. It's kind of like um it's kind of like a basketball is really like Yu-Gi-Oh in that um the fate of the world is often the the, the determined. determined by a game of basketball. See, I thought and you were going to say that it's all like Yu-Gi-Oh and that you can flip a trap card and all of a sudden you have to start dancing. <laughs> At least that's how I played Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, you can flip a trap card and all of a sudden there's a giant labyrinth in which you now have to explore. Game changer. <laughs> um anyway, so we're currently in the fifth second phase of a tournament. Two teams have ba- four teams have battled it out to qualify for 16th spot in the bracket. Um, the winners, Team Liquid, are now in sixth place. Um, at the end of this phase, the top two teams will move on to the upper bracket of phase three, and the next eight go into another playoff stage. The bottom six are completely eliminated. They'll be eliminated tomorrow, actually. Okay. As so, of recording. So by so, the time you listen to this, you'll know who's dead. Yeah. Um, the really nice thing about the international is that it's actually not that terribly hard, despite all the jargon we just spilled out. Um, for a newbie, there are multiple streams, one dedicated to new players looking to get familiar to the game. And they really spell out every. Like I, I was, I checked it out uh, a couple of days ago. Like they really do, or rather last night, they really do spell everything out for you. Yeah, um, 
it's they they really go into the strategies and what makes the game interesting. Um, if, if you are interested in in Dota and interested in maybe making a million dollars from playing video games, it's a probably a good place to take a look. It's a good place to start. They're not a spectator sport considering how slowly they move, but yeah. uh, that that stuff really does make it accessible and easy to follow. And there are at the very least uh, interesting strategies that come out each year just mm-hmm. because of the fun um, glitches that are still remain in Dota. Last year there was that fun um, the guy who kept using his whip and that which kept people in place and just allowed for basically constant repetitive attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we'll see something, an interesting strategy again this year. Yes. Um, if you happen to be in Toronto, though, there, I think it is being the championships are going to be played um, live um, at multiple cinemas and you can go to the TIFF Bell Lightbox mm-hmm. and be able to take a watch. Um, now, for something that's a bit more of a spectator sport. Uh, Evo. So, uh the International is hardly the only big game competition going on this weekend. Evo is capping off this year's fighting game tournaments. The top three games this year are like last year, Street Fighter 4, though it is Ultra Street Fighter 4 this year, as opposed to Street Fighter 4, Super Street Fighter 4 AE 2012. Ultimate Marvel's Capcom 3 and Super Smash Bros. Melee, back for a second year and entry-wise, is the second biggest game at the tournament. Which is... Pretty interesting considering that game. That game is one of the most chaotic fighting games mm-hmm. um, known. And it's are there any real strategies to? There are. There's a lot of the thing with uh, competitive Smash Bros. plays that I personally don't find it fun because I feel like it goes against a lot of what Smash Bros. is built for, which is randomness and which is randomness and chaos and kind of like dealing, sort of adapting to the moment to moment situation. Mm-hmm. But Smash Bros. like in the one on one matches when you're dealing with smaller stages like they do, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. Smash Bros. is a very air game. The combos are very long and loose, um, and a lot of the game is played in, played in the sky and played around. There's not a lot of predictive movement. You're not really. It's not like Street Fighter where you're playing a ton of mind games. It's much more about your perfect execution and placement on the screen. Yeah, and as a result, it does give you kind of that um, kind of that flexibility, but it also it kind of makes a more regimented version of what is a it's a really fun, fun party. Game. Yeah. Um, the payouts this year, 39000 for Street Fighter, 10000 for Marvel, and 9700 for Smash Brothers. Which, I see, which seems about fair, considering the level of competition that is being played at each of these tournaments. Yeah. Uh, uh, although it is kind of interesting to see that Faster Marvels is making the least. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's just it has it, it has the less it has the third most amount of enter, entrance, yeah. and Capcom threw in a, a pop bonus for Street Fighter, which is why it's so much bigger. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so... If um <laughs> if MOBA is basically a chess game with no turns, fighting games are kind of like contact poker or rocket versus about the, fi- the the counting. Um, fighting games are about making moves that force your opponent to make other moves that you can predict and then counter those moves. And the more op- more options a game has, the more chaotic it gets. Like Smash Brothers had tons and tons of things you can do at any one moment, as opposed to Street Fighter, which is kind of very focused on the ground and your combos are short and tight. It's a much more mind game focused kind of game. So uh, what what you, you follow, you tend to follow Evo way more than I do, yeah. which is at all. Um, <laughs> Street, uh, so what are the, the big games to look forward to yeah. this year? So Street Fighter, Marvel, and Smash Bros. Are, are all big this year. Marvel is sort of a, not a lost cause, really, but it's, there's nothing really interesting happening this year with Marvel. It's just the same guys are going to win. It's essentially. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll, it'll be Chris G, Justin Wong, Filipino champ, general kind of stuff. You're, you're looking at the same kind of stuff. Street Fighter is a really big deal, though, this year, because a lot of the top Japanese players are coming all at once for the first time in a few years. All five of the Japanese gods are coming. Uh, I believe they're, I, I can't remember all the Daigo, Mago, Takedo... Um, all of them are coming at once, which is a really big deal because these are players who a have had ult- have had access to ultra for one extra month compared to all the American players, mm-hmm. and b are significantly powerful players in their own right. And the top five might end up just being these five guys. So 
Is Justin Wong going to be playing in the Street Fighter tournament? Yes. Uh, Justin Wong, who we, I believe, had on the show uh, yes. a couple weeks ago, uh, will be playing in Street Fighter and Marvel. He plays a ton of games. He'll also be playing Killer Instinct, which you'll probably win because that's what he does in Killer Instinct. Yeah. And Marvel, which he used to always win and now wins a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. Um, which, is, I mean, it'd be interesting to see Daigo and Justin Wong go up against each other again. They, yeah, they rarely, yeah. they rarely get to. I mean, yeah. they're the cause. If you've ever seen Evo Moment 34, yeah. the big moment in Street Fighter 3 in 2004 when uh, Dai- Daigo played against Justin Wong in the finals, Street Fighter 3 has a system called the parry system, where as you're blocking an attack, you can press forward or towards the attack right as it hits, and you can deflect it, taking no chip damage, which is generally what you take when you block an attack. Mm -hmm. You take, like, a fraction of the damage you would take otherwise. Uh, Justin unleashed something called a super combo, which is, like, basically 20 consecutive hits that are uninterrupted. So and usually in in the fighting game you'd kind of just hit block and hope that most of the the damage didn't kill you. Right. From, Daigo from was operating on something called the magic pixel, which is just the smallest amount of health you could possibly have. He essentially had one point out of his let's say hundred points of health with his character. Yeah. And just so blocking would not have saved him. No, the second one thing would have even chipped him would have killed him. Yeah. But he managed to parry all I think twenty five or thirty hits of mm-hmm. the super combo and come back with his own super combo and win. And it is considered one of the highest moments, pure moments of execution in a fighting game because it is so hard to parry that full combo. That, and that is one of the most famous moments to come out of Evo. Um, yeah. In fact, I think, like, I mean, and this is kind of unfair to Justin Wong. He's a very good player. But when, when the way he is known outside of this community is kind of as the guy who lost to Daigo. And Daigo is known as the—he's called the Beast— yeah. nowadays. He is he is the best Street Fighter player, and he's one of the top players to look out for. He actually recently traded his standard. He, he used to always play Ryu and never changed off of Ryu, mm-hmm. except for a bit where he became, he played Yun for a little bit in a Street Fighter Arcade, Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition, mm-hmm. when Yun was considered the character that literally nobody else in the cast could beat, so mm-hmm. everybody played Yun. Uh, but otherwise, he played Ryu, which is a very kind of bread and butter, very technical, focused Street Fighter character. I, I believe people said, you don't love Street Fighter if you ha- if you don't play Ryu. Right. Uh, he switched out for Evil Ryu, who sort of has less health, does more damage, and kind of has flashier, longer combos. He said this is because he needs to deal with Yun, because otherwise Ryu doesn't stand a chance. Right. Um, e- evil Ryu, I mean, there's, there's no real... Justification for a lot of the weird characters that show no, up in this game. No, no one cares about the story. But uh, evil Ryu is Ryu who turned evil for a bit. Yep, he has red hair and he snarls and a hole in his chest. Alrighty. So yep. uh, uh, Justin Wong, of course, as we mentioned, has is play. He plays now multiple characters. He's playing two of the new characters, Elena and Poison, in addition to his traditional Rufus. Having a bunch of characters in your back pocket isn't really a well-known thing in Street Fighter, so counterpicking might be a good option for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, America's other big player is uh, Eduardo PR Balrog Perez, who plays a really good Balrog, as the name would imply, uh, as well as an increasingly popular Evil Ryu. He is actually considered America's best Street Fighter player, and uh, came in third, I believe, last year in Evo. He lost to infiltrate um, Sunwoo Lee, otherwise known as Infiltration, who won Evo last year. Uh, who plays a really overbearing Akuma, who used to be banned in Street Fighter 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akuma's been nerfed a lot, but Infiltration is still considered the best at reading opponents. He used to throw the first match of a game and then win the next two without even getting touched because he could download your entire strategy in one game. That is, And that is also an incredibly cr- uh, great mind game to pull, mm-hmm. in that you think you it's kind of like um, tricking someone into playing a game of pool with you and then sharking them afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like tricking them into playing a game of pool and then revealing you were playing soccer the whole oh, time. Yeah, exactly, right. Like, it, he really does exist on another scale. Um, yeah. And finally, uh, Japan's, last, Japan's other major player, the second best of the Japanese gods, is uh, Kenryo Mago Hayashi, who plays the game's other best character, Fei Long, uh, and is one of the few players who can really give Daigo a run for his money. So okay, who's your who's your best uh, bet to kind of of these ones that we've mentioned? Uh, PR Balrog, Infiltrator, um, Mago, 
uh, Justin Wong and Daigo, who are we looking for? I here? I really always like seeing Daigo win because mm-hmm. he plays a much more. I guess he he plays this he plays a very kind of uh, where people kind of where people try to like find the beauty in like soccer and stuff like he plays a very wonderful game of Street Fighter where he is all just technicals they used to they used to say he was a, he has psychic uppercuts mm-hmm. the uh, dragon punch move which is an uppercut attack leaves you very open. So you only want to use it when you know you're going to hit. But it comes, and even though it comes out fast, it doesn't come out fast enough that you have to predict what the opponent's going to do and hit them with it. He used to have, they used to say he had psychic uppercuts because he never missed an uppercut. He very rarely threw them out, but he never, ever missed. I really like watching Daigo play, and I really do want him to win. But I actually, I, I almost want to put it on um on uh, Eduardo Pierre Balrog. He's kind of America's great hope, and it's ni- uh, it would be nice to see an American player really take it home for the first time in years. Um, but he did, he, Infiltration really did put a number on him last year. What level of competition is, uh, is Evo considered for Japanese players? It is still, it is the, it is a Japanese player's top tournament, like it is for because mm-hmm. they get to play the American players as well. Mm-hmm. Japanese players tend to play in arcades rather than online and at home. Right. Where, uh, they have BP ratings, their battle points are tracked, where right now I believe Daigo is the number one Ultra Street Fighter player by like a country mile on the arcades. Oh my god. The second unfortunately the second two are not coming to Evo this year. Nemo who plays Rolento who's considered one of the worst characters in the game um, is not coming and neither is I believe Kazunoko who I can't remember who he plays off the top of my head but after that is Mago who is mm-hmm. the second best player coming. Daigo is Daigo is really the favorite to win this year, which mm-hmm. is which is something that hasn't happened in a couple of years because just the way the game is played, Ryu... Ryu's never been a great character in, in uh, Street Fighter 4. He's kind of the starter character. He's, exactly. he's the most evenly balanced. Exactly. And so players characters like Akuma, who have many more options, and um, Yun, who are just unstoppable, are really much more dangerous. But seeing him play Evil Ryu is him sort of say, kind of him stepping up and saying he will still be playing the same kind of Street Fighter he always plays. Evil Ryu is not that different. He just needs that extra little push of damage. Well, hopefully we'll see a great turnout this yep. year. At the very least, we'll be able to see. Um, at the very least, we'll be able to see a bunch of interesting players come in. Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of the highest level play we've seen this in a while. This is definitely the highest level tournament. The other, there are other, Community Effort Orlando was uh, last month, and that's a really high level play. Mm. Uh, they're actually, I believe Toronto players are in Evo. So mm. look out for, uh, I mean, Can the Cup Air, I believe, is a Vancouver player. Mm. But, um, oh God, tr- uh, t- Toronto Top Tiers, um, gosh, I can't remember his name. But uh, there are a couple Toronto top tiers players there. So uh, Daniel Rondo, hmm? Daniel Rondo, probably. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember. There's there's a couple of them. I know I, I caught a couple of them seeing them on uh, on Twitter and stuff. So uh, go us. Yeah, USA, USA, USA. <laughs> That's all for this week. I'm producer Armin Lali. and I'm featured editor Daniel Rosen. Now we're available on Stitch Radio and iTunes. Leave us a review so we know how we're doing and more people to find the show. We're usually on the air at the Horizon at 1 p.m. And we update the website every Sunday. You can find us on Twitter at built to play and me personally at Flarkon. And I'm at Daniel Skunder Rosen. And remember, USA, 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 USA. USA.